Welcome to another UCTV.TV podcast presented by University of California Television. Well, let me uh, take you through a few slides, tell you a little bit about myself, about our firm. First, uh, about Canon Partners. These are the five things I'll talk about, by the way. Canon Partners, the VC industry, uh, some of the things that we think are in interesting investment themes, uh, you know, a couple of case studies so you can see exactly how we work, how we fund companies, how do we find these companies. And then uh, a few hints on how to pitch a VC if you ever get unlucky enough to do that. So, so a little background on us. We're, we've been around 23 years. Uh, we're one of the top 10 venture firms in the U.S. A lot of people haven't heard our name because we don't have a lot of marketing and press agents and so on, but we're pretty big. We've been around a while. We have offices here, uh, Silicon Valley, uh, New York City, Israel, and India. Uh, we have about $3 billion under management. We've invested in about 260 companies over the years, of which 52 have gone public, and over 80 have been acquired. So we're, uh, we're pretty happy with that track record. Now, if you do the math, you'll see that there's still about 100-plus companies unaccounted for. Some haven't made it, and some are still. We still have about 70 active investments that are going right now. Uh, we have technology and healthcare, so we're different from some other firms. We do about a third of our business in healthcare a third of our business in software, internet, that sort of thing. And prior, major, the majority of what we do is first-round investments, uh, $1 million all the way up to 25. So Bill asked me to talk about my background. Yes, I went to that great university that everybody's heard of, Carleton University. Whenever I say that, people go, oh, Carleton, we know that. No, that's Carleton in Minnesota. This is Carleton in Canada, which is a totally different university. Uh, and yes, I did get my MBA from that. Uh, Eastern Business School. And uh, I also, uh, then for my first job, ended up working at a company called Rome, R-O-L-M. Most of you probably don't know it. It's not around anymore. Uh, and somebody asked me today, you know, how did you ever get into tech? Uh, my background, my actual, my background, Bachelor of Commerce, is accounting and finance. Uh, and then I sort of studied marketing at business school. And somebody asked, how did you ever get into tech? Somebody asked me earlier today. And I'd grown up in Canada. Uh, it's very cold. I was in Boston. It was a cold winter day. This company, Rome, had posted a job, and they said, we're based in California. And I said, basically, that's for me. I'm getting out of this cold. And I was thinking beaches, bikinis, all these things. I wasn't even thinking about what the company did. And so I ended up in California. Unfortunately, it turned out to be Santa Clara. And it wasn't Santa Barbara. Um, so there were no beaches. It was very cold, uh, very few bikinis. But I had a great summer job. And uh, I got into tech. Rome, at that point, had was a small company. It had just gone public, uh, and I loved it. I loved being in a fast-moving, entrepreneurial, fast-growing company. Uh, and so I came back to them after business school. They ended up getting acquired by IBM, and I could already see that it wasn't going to be really a fast-moving, fast-growing, exciting company anymore. So with a couple other people, uh, I helped start a company called Aspect Communications. Uh, it's a company that did a specialized switch for telecommunications, for call centers. So if you think about those large call centers with a lot of people sitting around answering calls, uh, this was back 1986. They didn't, you know, you think about it, it's pretty common today. You go press one to do this, press two to do that when you make a call or enter your account number on the phone. You couldn't do that in those days. And this is a system that let you use your touchstone keypad to enter data and also queued the calls up to agents. So that's all, that was all kind of new stuff. Uh, so I helped start that. I ran sales for them, which was also a pretty uh, different career path uh, as opposed to finance. And we took that public in 1990. And in 1991, 
uh, I happened to meet a couple of people at this firm called Kane and Partners. And they said, come on in and, uh, you know, uh, let's see if uh, you can find another startup to go do. Uh, and I was called an entrepreneur in residence, and that was 91. And 20 years later, I still haven't found a startup to do, so I'm still there doing investments. And it's turned out to be a pretty good career. So that's my background. Uh, here's what we focus on. Um, on the Internet, on, we have really three areas. Tech is digital media, which is Internet, e-commerce, everything. Uh, communications and mobility. Uh, you think of applications on mobile phones. Enterprise, which is software. Uh, software as a service, on-demand, cloud. Uh, that's all under there. And a small sliver of clean tech. We don't do a lot in there. There's probably three or four investments. In healthcare, biopharma. So we have antibiotic companies, companies that are developing drugs, uh, therapeutic companies, uh, medical devices for diabetics, for uh, optical use, uh, a lot of different device companies, diagnostics, and also some healthcare infrastructure. And we're also global. It kind of overlaps the other two areas. But 80% of what we do is in the U.S. So... Uh, People, I found, don't really know what a venture capitalist does. Uh, yeah, we're out looking at deals, but we once, yeah, when you take money from a venture capitalist in a startup, uh, you're getting a lot more than money uh, in most cases, if you're a good VC. Uh, so what do we do? So here's some of the things we do. Uh, exit planning is at the top of it, but that really takes a long time. Uh, exit planning means selling the company, taking it public, uh, raising money, figuring out what to do with it. Um, best practices. So we've invested in, you know, 260 companies. We've seen a lot of patterns. We've seen what people do right, what they do wrong, and we can help you, because we sit on the boards, we can help you, give you advice on what you should do as different things arise, as different situations arise. We give you access to the Canaan team, 260 companies, all these CEOs, VPs that you can get advice from. Uh, intro to strategics, that means corporate partners. Uh, so we've introduced a lot of our companies uh, to or a lot of our startups to people at Google or Facebook or if you're in the medical business at Abbott or Johnson & Johnson and help them do partnerships and deals and even help them raise money from these companies. Uh, marketing and PR support. We have a marketing department that can help startups when they don't have the money to have their own PR, their own marketing. We help them get some publicity early on. Human capital, big part of what we do. I spend a lot of my life interviewing people, uh, recruiting people for our companies. And what, what you get with a VC is a big network of companies and people. Uh, people come to us when they're looking for jobs, and we help them find jobs in our startups. Uh, and this is generally at the executive levels, you know, VP, CEO levels. That's where we focus. Uh, strategic planning, the bottom line, that's the day-to-day -day stuff, the important stuff. As your company grows, uh, as it raises money, strategy, operations, regulatory, financial discipline, uh, you know, are we doing the right things? Um, we make sure that the company has the right set of controls in place uh, so that if someday you decide to go public, if you decide to, uh, you know, get an audit, that all the right controls and systems are in place. And again, this is something that we help companies do. So, a lot of stuff. Um, but the fun part is dealing with startups and helping find exciting startups and then getting them to a very successful outcome. So these are just some examples and areas we look at. So these are uh, things that we invest in. 
and examples of companies that we've invested in. So the top two, Social Web, it's hot. Yeah, we've got our share of companies there. We have two of the leading companies there, Kabam and Zeus. Kabam is one of the largest gaming companies on the web that you may not have heard of. Uh, in revenues, it's probably number two behind Zynga. Uh, Zeus is the largest social dating network online. So it's all about online dating. Uh, just a show of hands first. How many of you have used online dating services? One guy, two guys, brave man. Usually I get nobody, right? So this is where I get a kick out of this because it turns out that, and this is the latest stat, 25% of married people met their, people that are getting married met their spouse online on a dating service. So you guys don't use it. You're too young. But, you know, at least a quarter of you will use it someday. So just keep that in mind. Uh, so... Actually, those are two companies I'm going to talk about more in detail. Um, case studies later on, those two in particular. Because I know you want to know all about gaming and dating, so that's what I'm going to focus on. Uh, some of the other companies you may have heard of, uh, DoubleClick basically started the whole internet advertising industry. And the founder lives right here in town, Kevin O'Connor. Some of you probably talked to him, seen him. Uh, Tremor Media, video advertising. Some of these other names along the bottom you may have heard of, active.com. If you've ever signed up for a race or marathon, bike race, it's basically a sign-up engine. Uh, match.com, you know what that is. Uh, lending club, you can borrow money from other people, peer-to-peer -peer lending. Um, so a lot of interesting different business models that are coming up because of what the internet enables. Uh, then you get into some of the more technical products. If you look at PrimeSense, interesting Israeli company. Uh, you guys have probably seen the new Kinect from Microsoft, or you may not have. It's the new motion sensing add-on to the Xbox 360. Uh, you go like this. You don't need a controller. The game knows what you're doing. PrimeSense makes a chip that senses that, your motion. It's called gesture-based recognition. And it senses that, translates into commands for the Xbox. And that's the chip that PrimeSense makes. So. We do have some semiconductor technology like that, kind of gee whiz, cutting edge kind of stuff. Tweet photo, photo sharing on Twitter. Uh, this is a company that actually we just sold, um, but you know, a company that went from zero to 35 million unique monthly users uh, in a very short period of time, just on the back of what's going on on Twitter. Acme Packet, probably never heard of it. It's a company that makes communications equipment for carriers. Public company worth about $5 billion today. Uh, on the enterprise side, again, Intralink, success factors, very big public companies. Software as a service is the key thing that we're working on there. And of course, cloud and virtualization are also uh, a big area of investment for the venture industry. So that's the, uh, I focus mostly on the technology side. So consumer internet, software, telecom. So that's kind of where I'm going to talk about. But we do have that healthcare side, which uh, I, I'm not going to focus on today, but it is there. Uh, so quickly on uh, investment themes, what are we looking for? What are the trends that are out there that are interesting and get us all excited and are relevant? But first, a little background, why is venture capital important? It's a little paid political announcement for the venture industry. These are just some of the companies that have all started with venture capital and would not have gotten to these points without venture capital. So as an industry, venture capital, which is a tiny industry, by the way, You'll see it on the next slide. Very small. Has helped create 12 million jobs. Our investment started the companies that created 12 million jobs. 
which is a big part of the U.S. workforce today. So uh, you may have heard of venture capital. It's not a big industry. It's about $250 billion is the value of all the venture capital out there today. And that's tiny as a percent of the economy. Um, you know, private equity, it's 10 times the size of venture capital. Yet, they don't create the, those kind of jobs. In most cases, they get rid of jobs. Uh, hedge funds, huge. You hear about them. Um, we're tiny compared to that. The global stock market, global bond market. Global GDP is $58 trillion, uh, and venture capital is a small fraction of that. But it leads to jobs, and it leads to innovation. So that's my little uh, commercial. So who invests in VC funds? Basically, it's people that are looking for long-term investments. So it's pension funds, it's endowments, it's foundations from colleges. Um, it's uh, private pension funds and corporate pension funds. And they're looking for long-term investments because they, they don't need the money right away. And the thing is, when you put your money in a venture fund, uh, when we go out and raise money from these people, that money's locked up for 10 years. You don't get to say where it goes, and you're not going to get it back for a long time. You might get it back if we get a lot of IPOs and M&As. You might get it sooner. But you have to be ready to lock up your money for at least 10 years. And that gives us a long-term perspective. So we are looking for companies that are going to, you know, these are startups. They're going to take a long time to become big companies. And that's what these investors want. So uh, this is a pretty important slide. It's the life cycle of a startup. Uh, where do you raise money from at different cycles? And there's different things different places to go at different times in the life of a company. So, uh, and I guess kind of the, the line here down the middle, the dotted line, that's basically where you break even. That's the profitability line. So when you're below that profitability line, you're using a lot of cash. When you're above it, you're generating cash. Uh, and so when you first found a company, you know, you got to use a lot of cash, and ultimately if your company works, you're going to come out of it. And where do you get that money? The best place to get money early on is from friends, family, and grants. And we're talking about $10,000, dollars talking about twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000. Friends, well, we call it the three Fs, friends, family, and fools. Right? These are people that are okay with, they understand it's risky, they might lose their money, uh, but they have faith in you. So they're going to give you a certain amount of money. And then uh, when you need more, when you need 200000 you need half a million, you need a million, there's the angel category. There's seed investors. And those are basically wealthy individuals, families, uh, people who've made money working at companies like Google or another startup. And they're ready to take those kind of risks. Uh, it's a pretty risky part of the business. And then when you come out and you need maybe half a million to $20 million, that's where venture capital firms fit in. And that's kind of our sweet spot. Um, you know, we, we don't do hundreds of investments. A firm like ours uh, does maybe 20, 25 investments a year, max. Um, but they're big chunks. And we go on the board, and we're going to help you hands-on with the company. We're not going to run the company, but we're going to help you on the board. And then as you go uh, into profitability and you need more expansion money, that's where investment banks and private equity funds and growth capital investors come in. And then when things are going really well, uh, you go public, raise money in the public markets, or you sell and uh, merge in with another larger company. So those are kind of the life cycle of a startup. 
Now, you've got to be patient. This is, people think uh, you can just kind of start a company, have, a, have it go public, and you're rich in a couple of years, get rich quick. It's not. This is the average time it takes to go from startup to IPO in the U.S. 2000, yeah, that was the bubble, right? That was easy. You could go public in three years. That's not what it's like today. Today, it's going to take you about, companies that are going public today have taken nine years to get there on average. So you're going to do a startup, you've got to be ready for the long term. And if you're going to get acquired, same thing. Companies that are getting acquired today uh, have been around at least five years. Um, so just one thing to keep in mind. And in the meantime, what's happened is the venture industry has sort of been shrinking. So 2000, bubble year, a lot of money came into the industry. A lot of pension funds, everybody was putting money into venture capital. It was a sure thing. Uh, not so much over the last 10 years. Um, you can see it's been shrinking. So that's the dollars that have been going into the venture industry. And then these are the number of investments that have been made in the venture industry following that, because without money, we can't make investments. So we're still investing. It's just a sort of a smaller industry. So it's tougher to get venture capital these days. What's happened, though, is that the early, early stage, the seed, uh, the real startup stage, there's been a new kind of investor that's grown in size, and that's really the professional angel. So the good news is while venture capitals have shrunk, venture capital firms have shrunk, angels have gone up. The number of angels, and these are the guys that invest, you know, uh, 100,000 at a time. Uh, the number of those has gone up. And another phenomenon is the accelerators. So I don't know if any of you have heard of Y Combinator or Techstars or Tech Coast Angels. Well, I think they're an angel firm. But they're uh, these places that offer you advice, give you a place to start your company, maybe give you $10,000, $20,000. And it's a place where you can meet other startups. And we actually like to work with a lot of those accelerators to find companies that we want to fund later on uh, as they get bigger. So the good news is, while VCs are sort of shrinking, these guys are growing, so there's lots of money for risk early, early stage capital. Uh, so these are sort of the themes, the investment themes we're looking at. Um, a lot of familiar names up there, but the areas that are hot, obviously social, um, Facebook being the biggest, commerce, you've heard of Groupon, uh, financial technology, FinTech, people are using the internet. Lending Club is an example of that, where people lend money on the internet and people borrow money on the internet. It's a marketplace for loans. Um, cloud, you got some of these. I think RightScale is here in town, um, so you know that's a big area. Mobile, you guys all know, you have your apps, you have your smartphones, you're all using these kind of uh, apps. Video on the web and crowdsourcing. Um, so Wikipedia being one example. Uh, AC, which is one of our companies, Associated Content, is a marketplace for people to write articles. So publications want articles, writers write articles, and it's a marketplace on the web that helps you source those articles. Uh, and the good news today in the consumer internet world, in the web world, uh, is that it's really not expensive to start a company. You know, it used to be you had to put in, you had to go buy servers, buy hardware, buy a lot of software, buy Oracle databases, and you know you could be out two, three, four, five, ten million before you even had a product. Now you just go right to the cloud. You get computing as you need it. Uh, you can put an app on mobile phones pretty quickly. Uh, you know, in terms of distribution channels, 
You can use uh, the web uh, and blogs and a number of different social avenues to get word of mouth advertising. Um, business models, peer-to-peer, -peer, hundreds of different, new different business models out there. So what it means now that you can actually get your product up and running for thousands of dollars instead of millions. And that's good news, right? And that means that it's a great opportunity for people to start try new things without raising a lot of money. And uh, so I think it's a great time um, to be starting a company, the internet, mobile, kind of all those areas that we talked about here. Starting them doesn't take much, but once you get to a certain size, you do have to raise venture capital and go big. And so, of course, the rise of social networking, I don't have to tell you, Google and Yahoo uh, are, and Facebook uh, is taking over all of them uh, in terms of getting attention. Technology is easy to use. Everybody's familiar with it. Gesture-based technology, touch technology. Uh, media is digitized, and once everything's digitized, you can do a lot of interesting things with it. Um, these are just broad trends that we look at these days. Uh, and the pace of change is accelerating. So this is an interesting chart. Look at that green line. That says that it took 11 quarters for the iPhone, et cetera, to hit 120 million uh, users or owners. You know, if you look at the blue line, that's really the internet because that's Netscape. And that took 19 quarters to get to that point. And look how fast the Apple has, uh, the iPhone phenomenon has gone in comparison. Um, NTT Docomo is another kind of mobile technology. It took 19 quarters, it's only there. And, you know, the desktop internet, if you look at AOL, is an approximation. Back in the day, that was the darling. That defined the internet. It took 19 quarters, it only got there. So, that tells you about what kind of pace of change we're experiencing compared to the past. And we've reached an inflection point uh, right there. Smartphones and tablets this year, uh, if I'm reading this right, will be bigger than laptops and PCs in terms of units. Um, and in particular tablets, I think actually that doesn't I think that's conservative. I think tablets are going to kill the laptop market. But that's the way the world is going. So whenever there's a disruption like that, there's an opportunity for change and an opportunity for startups. And this has always been a problem. People uh, spend a lot of money on advertising. If you look at this, this green is what people spend on advertising in print. And yet, they spend 26% of their budgets in advertising on print. People are only spending 12% of their time reading print. Whereas on the internet, it's the other way. People are only spending 13% on the internet, and people are spending 28% of their time on the internet, and that's just going up. So once that advertising shift happens from print and TV to the internet, there's a huge opportunity for advertising-based business models. And this is just the ad technology landscape. These are almost all venture-backed companies. And that's just internet advertising technology startups. Uh, so people see what's coming, and these are the kind of companies that are taking advantage of it. So that's just one sector that's being affected by all these trends. And then the other thing that's interesting, advertising isn't the only way to pay the bills. Uh, this is direct-to-user revenue. Basically, it's the virtual goods, virtual currency. Used mostly in gaming, um, but in other things as well. And in Asia, that's... Uh, $7 billion market. In the U.S., it's small. It's only about a billion, maybe a billion six last year. And 
that's growing hugely. And it's, uh, again, a great way to make money uh, other than advertising or subscriptions or other business models on the internet. So these are, again, big trends that startups can take advantage of. So um, I guess we'll have questions at the end. I guess we'll do questions at the end. Uh, so case studies. Let's talk a little about one of my favorite companies, um, the so Zeusk, which is the social dating network. Um, so what, uh, and I'll tell you why we did this. I mean, it's you know, a question of people ask, what do you look for in a startup? And I guess we'll kind of take you through the thinking on what led us to make this investment. Um, so we knew, uh, and this is 2008 when we first invested in the company, not that long ago. Um, we knew that uh, these are the facts. We were looking at the market opportunity saying, what's our thesis here? And the thesis was really this. Match.com at this point, you know, when we first funded it, that was 1995. Now, 15 years later, um, the average age of the average user on Match is 38. Okay, so there's an entire population of people under 30 that are not using online dating. Uh, at the same time, Facebook is growing fast. They opened up the platform so people could write applications on the platform. So that happened right there, too. And then uh, if you look at Facebook, you know, an observation would be that meeting people and flirting is a big deal of what's going on on Facebook. And so people are kind of open to new relationships on, on social networks. And at the same time, people are used to paying subscriptions. They're used to paying money for online dating. So you put all four of those together and say, big opportunity if we can move the age level down. There's a new platform. People are open to new relationships, and they're willing to pay money. We know that because Match.com is making a lot of money. So then we said, you know, well, okay, market is only part of it. What about the team? Who are the people that are going to make this happen? So we went looking around, and we went to, uh, we found two guys. One guy is actually a former rocket scientist, literally. And uh, uh, the second guy is a software engineer at Microsoft. Smart guys. Uh, but you wouldn't say they're going to be the right guys to the dating site. Uh, but we found them at this accelerator called Plug and Play up in Silicon Valley. There's maybe 100 companies that rent space in this accelerator. And we found these guys, and they were doing different... They, start, they were just starting to do applications on Facebook, opinion polls. Uh, and they were, you know, meeting... They had this app, I think it was called Are You Interested? And so you kind of, you know flash somebody's picture in front of me if you, you know, you can thumbs up or thumbs down. Sort of a hot or not, but a little more tasteful. And um, so they were doing apps like that. And, uh, you know, we, we found them. We said, hey, online dating. And said, that's funny. That's exactly where we're going. So we, uh, we took a chance. And uh, we invested in them. And they basically wanted to put together an app for dating on Facebook. And so they came up with the concept of a social dating network in that you can have a profile, and it's going to be in a separate network because you're going to be anonymous. People still don't want their friends to know that they're on a dating service. And, but within that, it's, you have a wall. You can talk to people. It's like a social network of people that are interested in dating. So they kind of created a parallel social network. Uh, and then they basically went crazy on the product innovation. They had an instant messenger so that people could you know, talk to each other uh, regardless of what application they're in. A mobile client, the Zeus Scientific Matchmaking System, which actually is scientific. It looks at what kind of people you look at and tries to figure out what your type of person is and suggests other people like that. And vice versa, what kind of people are looking at you. 
and kind of figures out what the best match might be for you. The affinity graph, you can hook it up to your Amazon feed, you can hook it up to your Netflix feed. So you can see, for example, I'm reading certain kinds of books and it'll match you with people that have the same interests automatically. So it's not like you're lying about, hey, I like to read this kind of book. You really are buying that kind of book and it matches you with people that like that. Or you watch this, you know, you say you like watching foreign movies. Well, it's going to put you with people that watch the kind of movies you actually watch, not just what you say you watch. So uh, it's kind of an automatic matching system. So really good product innovation. So combination of great market, ready, ready to be, uh, you know, ready for a new startup. Uh, great team. It was only two guys when we funded them. And uh, uh, great product innovation. So what's that led to? That's, uh, let's kind of go through it. November 7, 400,000, Series A. That was the seed investment that they got when they were in the accelerator. It was just two people. And then we funded them. When we saw them, we said, hey, online dating, great idea. We'll give you half a million bucks. Uh, and I'm sorry, half a million revenue run rate. We gave them the four million bucks. Uh, four employees at this point. They already had four million in revenue just based on subscriptions. Four employees. Um, then uh, about a year later, they had 20 million users. These aren't all paying users, but they had 20 million users. And this is what the virality of Facebook did for them, right? Um, and so they went out and raised $6 million, and they still only had 15 employees. They're spending all that money on acquiring users on Facebook and then turning them into subscribers. Uh, in the November 09, 40 million users. And 25 million run rate, they raised $33 million. Now every VC in the world is ready to throw money at them at this point. Because um, they're growing like crazy. And good news is they don't need a lot of cash at this point. And just this month, uh, they have 60 million users, 90 million revenue run rate. They're in 60 countries. And they have 75 employees. So that's, okay, I'm not showing you the startups that didn't work, right? I'm showing you the startups that did work. But that is a great story from our point of view. Uh, it had all the elements of a good startup, and it had monetization on top of it, which is very important over time. So then, um, I don't know if anybody's heard of Kabam. Anybody here heard of Kabam? Games are called Kingdoms of Camelot, Glory of Rome. Okay, that's good. You're too busy studying. I know. Okay. Um, the... Massively multiplayer social games. So if you think of Zynga as Farmville, Cityville, these are more strategic, immersive games. So as it turns out, Farmville and Cityville and games like that uh, that people play on Facebook are, se are casual games. 70% of the users are women. These games, Kabam's games, are targeted at, in fact, these games are targeted at males. And uh, they're more strategic and they're more immersive and they're more massively multiplayer. Um, so you build a city, and then you go out and you attack the next city. So that's a guy thing to do. Okay, so that's, uh, that's what these games are set up to do. But you do it all on Facebook. It's primarily a Facebook app. But not quite how it started. So here was the market thought here. And I think the theme to remember on this one is nothing ever turns out the way you plan. The last one, things kind of worked out the way you planned. This one didn't quite work out. So, the th okay, we're, again, we're looking at Facebook. Uh, and I'm just using these examples because I assume you guys can all relate to Facebook. Uh, Facebook at that time had just come out of the college environment, right? It, it was just opening up, so it wasn't just for colleges, it was for friends, and now you could put family on there. Uh, 
And, uh, and so we were thinking social network's gonna be big, but the idea was, hey, why not within a corporation? Corporations also need social networks. It's great for communication. Employees can talk to each other. They can, you know, if you're a big company like IBM, uh, you're far flung. It's a good way for people to keep up with each other. Uh, so the company was formed. You know, we, we found that Facebook was growing fast. So we thought it would be kind of a, a network that was based loosely around a Facebook, with a Facebook. The idea wasn't really clear. And, uh, you know, people were socializing online with Facebook. So the company actually, when it was first formed, was called Water Cooler. It wasn't called Kabam. The idea was water cooler is where people gather within a company to talk, right? So that was the theme. Uh, and uh, now this one, okay, so kind of an inside job. Kevin is a guy that uh, actually was doing some stuff for us, and he had the idea. And he had three friends who were engineers, and he said, listen, I think we can do this water cooler thing. And uh, so we gave Kevin a small check and said, you know, see what you can come up with. Smart guy. Uh, you know, very much into Facebook, had written a couple of small apps that had gone nowhere. But we said, let's see what you can do with a very small amount of money, come up with a prototype. Talk to a few corporations, see if there's a market for this. It wasn't really go build it and sell it, it's go kind of check it out. And so the first app was Water Cooler and uh, a social network for the workplace. And they went and talked to companies and showed them this prototype and there was a huge, basically just silence, nobody's interested. Turns out people like IBM don't want their employees talking, okay? They don't want, because they're afraid of what they'll say. And they'll start bitching about, I don't, you know, I want more money, I don't have the right job, I want this, I want that. They're not really into democracy and, the, and freedom of expression within a corporation. Okay, so that idea is out the door. Uh, then you think about what else is, so Kevin and, and his team at this point, they're still a small number of people. What else happens around a water cooler? It's kind of where they went with it. Guess what people talk about on Monday morning? They talk about football games. They talk about what TV show they watched. So they said, let's build communities around these sports teams and around TV shows. And so they came up with basically hundreds of communities built around TV shows that are little apps that sit on Facebook, around the Simpsons, around you know, your favorite football team. And pe people would congregate and talk about what's going on on TV shows with their team. They'd share photos, they'd talk. Interesting, um, lots of users, got millions of users. Uh, couldn't make much money off that. They started selling advertising. Nobody really, I mean, you, you could make, they probably could make enough to break even over time, but it wasn't ever gonna be a huge company. So they realized what they had was a huge audience that they could use to, to basically sell other stuff to. And they came up with the whole game concept. Uh, came up with a game called Kingdoms of Camelot. Um, and the rest is history, and I'll show you what, uh, what happened through that. And then these games are all monetized, by the way, through things that you buy. So you might want to buy something to speed up building a building or buy a special weapon. I think you know, most of you know how this works better than I do, but that's how they make money. So here's uh, the Kabam story. Uh, we funded it as a seed deal for employees that tried the water cooler thing. Didn't work. Uh, then they tried the uh, communities around TV shows and sports teams. And that looked promising, so they went out and raised four million bucks because they were getting huge user uptake. Turns out they couldn't make money doing that, so the money started running out. And we said, you know, you better come up with something else. Uh, and then in uh, 09, they introduced, or sometime in 09, they introduced Kingdoms of Camelot. 
And all of a sudden, uh, they realized they could get some real revenue going here. And they raised $6 million, but it was still a test. It was just one game. Uh, so they raised $6 million and decided to go all out on the gaming side. They launched Kingdoms of Camelot. Um, and then June of last year, they realized they were really onto something. They had 500,000 daily users. That's daily. Notice I just went from monthly to daily uh, users. And 30 million revenue run rate just in virtual goods. Uh, people buying stuff that costs nothing to make. And uh, I love that. It's a great business. Um, <laughs> and, so they, and guess what? All of a sudden, venture capitalists were all over this. $30 million they raised. Let's go do this. Let's go have five, ten different games. They started acquiring different companies as well. There's still only 30 employees at this point. Uh, and then this month, they have a million daily users, 60 million revenue run rate. They're in U.S., China, and Germany. They have 250 employees all of a sudden. Some of that was through acquisition, but most of it was hiring. So, uh, again, as I said, I'm only telling you about the good companies. There's some that don't have these kind of trajectories. But that gives you an idea, hopefully, of what, you know, when we're first investing in a company, what we look for. Markets, product, new opportunities, team. Doesn't have to be an experienced team, as you saw, but a team that gets what's going on in that space. So that's uh, kind of the case study. Quickly then. Uh, and then the last is really a public service. How to pitch a VC. If you ever get to this point, um, I'm not going to go through this, but I do want to show you something that you need to get. And this is on our website, by the way. All of the stuff that you see here. What to do when you're pitching. And by the way, this applies to everything. When you're pitching for anything that you want to sell, you want to raise money, these are the things you need to know about. Something called the Entrepreneur Pitch Workbook. Go to our website, canon.com, download it. If you ever get in front of a, a VC or anybody you have to make a presentation to, this is a good guide as to how to do it. So I'm not going to go through in detail how to pitch a VC because... You may or may not get there, but if you do, that's what you do. So that's all I have. What's the most important thing you look for uh, when you're looking to invest in a company? The most important. Uh, uh, that varies, right? I mean, I mentioned some of the things we look at, markets, management, product. Uh, it really varies company by company what's most important. Sometimes you get a great team, and it almost doesn't matter what they do because they're going to they're gonna be able to change, and they're such a great team that you would do whatever they were doing. Uh, on the other time, you come across a great idea, and you can't find anybody that has experience doing it, and you kind of take a flyer on the team. Match.com is an example back in the early days of online dating. Uh, nobody knew the internet at that point. I mean, there was no internet. So you kind of had to bet on people that were just kind of making it up as they went. And uh, in that case, the market opportunity was most important. How big is the market? How fast is it growing? And the team didn't matter. So it really varies company by company what's most important. I was wondering what percentage of your investments are in ideas as opposed to companies with established like products and services and like an established revenue model. 
So how many of our companies are ideas versus further along? Yeah, it's like further along in the venture process. I guess what we've been hearing is that um, because venture capital is, is smaller than it was before, VCs are investing later in the venture process. True. So uh, yeah, as I said, you know, majority of our investments are first round, but first, first round doesn't necessarily mean um, just an idea, right? Sometimes it's ideas that have been taken to product and have some traction and revenue, and then we invest. Uh, so it's rare that they're just ideas, even, I mean, other than Kabam, which you saw up there. It's kind of the exception. You know, water cooler, we'll do this corporate social network thing. Uh, even Zeusk, which you saw up there, the two guys had already been doing apps. We saw that their apps had traction. They already had hundreds of thousands of users on these apps. Even though it wasn't online dating, we knew that they got social networking and that there was something there. Um, so I'd say probably just two guys with an idea is probably no more than 10% of what we invest in. And the rest is a little more established. You know, may not have raised a lot of money, but they've got something to show. Users, revenue, uh, not necessarily revenue. Users, a product prototype, maybe a, kind of a beta test that they've already done. Something that's got some substance to it before we invest. You were saying that when you guys give people um, Sorry, money and they take venture capital from you, that essentially you sit on the board and you help guide them, give them advice, try to make sure their company prospers. Um, what do you do if they don't take your advice or act against it, um, essentially trying to run it in a different way than what you would prefer? Uh, not much we can do. I mean, we try to make sure that we're, you know, when we, when we decide on investing in the team, we do a lot of research on what kind of people they are, you know, what their background is, and whether they're willing to take advice. But you know, it does happen sometimes. A venture capitalist says, I want to go this way. And the team says, I want to go this way. And there's not much that a venture capital can, capitalist can do to force things. Ultimately, the only power we have is the ability to write a check, right? And if the company runs out of money and they're not doing something that we think is right, then we're not going to give them any more money. But the company can still go raise money from other sources if they want to. But it's pretty hard. You know, it's kind of a mutual thing. We don't use, it doesn't usually happen uh, where a company wants to do something totally different from the VC uh, because, generally speaking, uh, there aren't a lot of other... If, if you have a VC on your board and he's not willing to fund you, it's pretty hard to raise money outside. And they go, why doesn't your VC fund you? And you go, well, we're having a fight. Okay, so it makes it tough. What would you say is the main reason that uh, companies you invest in fail? They don't take my advice. No, I'm kidding. Uh, uh, the main reason. They uh, basically are ahead of the market. Uh, you know, they, they have... See, when you start a company, you're assuming certain things will happen with the market as it grows, and you hope your product will get there exactly the right time as the market is taking off. Uh, and the trick is to not spend all your money ahead of that. Okay. Um, and so if, uh, if I've raised a million bucks and my product comes out in a year and the market doesn't start for another five years, I'm out of luck. It could be a great idea. It's just the wrong timing. I think timing is pretty, the, pretty much the most common reason for a company to fail. Uh, you start spending your money before the market's obvious, and then it's tough. Yeah. What percentage of your investments are in ideas as opposed to companies with established like products and services and like an established revenue model? 
So how many of our companies are ideas versus further along? Yeah, it's like further along in the venture process. I guess what we've been hearing is that um, because venture capital is, is smaller than it was before, VCs are investing later in the venture process. True. So, uh, yeah, as I said, you know, majority of our investments are first round, but first, first round doesn't necessarily mean um, just an idea, right? Sometimes it's ideas that have been taken to product and have some traction and revenue, and then we invest. Uh, so it's rare that they're just ideas, even, I mean, other than Kabam, which you saw up there. It's kind of the exception. You know, water cooler, we'll do this corporate social network thing. Uh, even Zeusk, which you saw up there, the two guys had already been doing apps. We saw that their apps had traction. They already had hundreds of thousands of users on these apps. Even though it wasn't online dating, we knew that they got social networking and that there was something there. Um, so I'd say probably just two guys with an idea is probably no more than 10% of what we invest in. And the rest is a little more established. You know, may not have raised a lot of money, but they've got something to show. Users, revenue, uh, not necessarily revenue. Users, a product prototype, maybe a, kind of a beta test that they've already done. Something that's got some substance to it before we invest. What's the best way to get your foot in the door at a venture capital firm, as in like an analyst or on your side? The... Oh, you want to work at a venture capital? Yeah. Okay. After I told you you still want to work at a venture capital. Okay. Um, it's not, okay, so it's a tiny industry, right? There's maybe a couple of thousand people in the entire industry. That's it. So it's, uh, it's really difficult. Let's just put it that way. And there's no set career path. You can't say, I want to be a venture capitalist, so I'll get a degree in this and do that, right? That just, it's just very much serendipity. In my case, I just happened to be in a startup, by the way, that right there, if you can get into a startup related to your field, uh, that's the first step. So you want to get some experience, whether it's tech or healthcare or clean tech, whatever your field is. Uh, you want to get some operating experience in a small company so you understand, you know, because one of the things you're selling as a venture capitalist is your ability to advise small companies. And so without that experience, I'm not sure what you're going to advise them about. You don't have a lot of credibility. But let's say even if you get that experience, uh, you know, a business background, maybe an engineering background. So it can be either technology background or a business background uh, or healthcare, as the case may be. A lot of doctors become venture capitalists. Um, you, uh, you still uh, have to kind of rely on luck to a certain extent. Uh, you basically... The VCs, if you're in a startup, work with the VCs on your board. Get them to notice you. That's where we like to go to hire people when we hire people, people in our companies. And the ones that are, you know, the guys that are performing well are probably going to be the most likely ones to help. We do have a program where we hire analysts out of college. But, you know, again, we're, we're one of the top ten firms in the country, and we hire maybe one analyst every couple of years. So I'll give you an idea of uh, how big the industry is and how hard it is to get into You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.